Do you think birth order affects personality? Uh, well, I can't go from personal experience, but I have friends who have sisters and brothers, and they always say, like, the oldest get it tough with the parents. The youngest get it sweetest because they had practice with the others. So I, I guess, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Definitely it has a direct relationship with the personality development. Ultimately, nobody has the same personality, no two people, you know, so, you know, even with twins. So, you know, just to start with, but um, I do think I think birth order can have something to do with personality in certain circumstances, but not so much in a general sense, if that makes any sense. Uh, ultimately, I think those certain circumstances that could they could be brought about by different scenarios, um, meaning uh, parents, the environment, uh, and or different experiences. Hi there, I'm Zoe. And I'm Chandi. And this is Bound by the Book. Everybody has thoughts about birth order, and generally it's that birth order affects personality in some way. Honestly, you can see birth order like represented in magazine articles, news reports, TV, movies, even social media. Something that people really love talking about. I remember growing up and watching, well, obviously reruns of The Brady Bunch, but like just the whole family dynamic of two separate families coming together and how there's on each side, there's the firstborn, the middle child, and then the youngest and, and like their interactions coming sort of a blended family. And it, it's always funny because they like reinforce the stereotypes of being a firstborn or being the middle or youngest child. I mean, I've never seen the Brady Bunch. I know Sumi, but I have seen Cheaper by the Dozen, which is just... Which I've never seen that. There's a lot of stuff happening there. And it's the first and the youngest that they put a lot of emphasis on because of all the 10 kids in the middle. It's like, yeah, whatever. But Ooh. it's the oldest who is, yeah. who's a guy and kind of runs the family business and all of that. Me, myself, I'm the youngest in the family, but... There's such a large age gap that it's as if I was raised as an only child in a way. And you're you're the oldest, right? I'm the oldest, but I act like the youngest. And you're the youngest, but you act like the oldest, which is funny. Yeah, it's that is super yeah. weird. Yeah, you and have that like, whole you, responsibility thing down. Do you even fit with like the stereotypes of, of like your age? Not age, but like, do you fit within the stereotype of your birth order within your family? And like, I can say that I probably don't. And you, like you said, you don't. So that kind of leads us to the argument that birth order maybe doesn't influence personality as much as we think it do, or even at all, right? Does it really correlate? It's like you said, it's something that everybody talks about. Everybody can talk about it because they yeah. are, they're going to be in order in some way, right? Everybody, right. Everybody has an opinion on it. And everybody has an opinion on, on people who are the only child in their family. Everybody has these thoughts. And yeah, they're fun to think about. So we caught up with two psychologists who did a thorough study on birth order and personality. And what they found out was that birth order does not affect personality as most people think it does. 
Our two guests today are Rodika Damian and Brent Roberts. Rodika, Brent, how's it going? Good. Not bad, uh, not bad. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> Good. You know, we're here to talk about birth order and, and personality. What made you want to study birth order and personality? There were a lot of that small studies in the field uh, with conflicting evidence. Um, and this is kind of an old idea that birth order might impact who you turn out to be. And given the contradictory evidence, some methodological issues with previous studies, we thought that, you know, maybe there was no effect. That's usually what the case is when you have lots of contradictory evidence from uh, studies with methods issues. Um, So we had this really large sample and it was really a perfect opportunity to test this in a more reliable way interesting question right yeah, <laughs> yeah like that's what i was gonna parents, say <laughs> parents i mean like, everybody okay. wants to know come on the everybody public wants to know. Yeah. really cares about this no but it's, <laughs> it's funny because it's like um chandi and i were talking about it. it's just one of those things where people get wrapped up in like you know small things like this like oh you know like birth order personality intelligence occupation everybody just it, it's like a really yeah. interesting thing people just like to discuss and, and talk about everybody has a birth order and everybody has an opinion on it that's the main thing everybody can relate <laughs> to it in some ways if you could just kind of go into your background um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you arrived uh, where you are now i'm originally from romania and I went to undergrad in Germany. Then I did my PhD at UC Davis. And then I did a postdoc position with Brent. Uh, so I very much enjoyed my time uh, working with him in Illinois. And now I'm a professor, an associate professor of psychology, social personality psychology at the University of Houston. And yeah, I originally stumbled uh, into psychology. It was actually a clerical error. I was uh, originally supposed to study political science and they just put me by mistake in psychology, but I really liked the courses and yeah here i am so unaware of the serendipity of your path <laughs> I, I like that i was the son of a, a marine and the best possible way in the 1970s to piss off a marine was to become a psychologist so basically my career is one long adolescent protest i actually started studying psychology in college thinking that i was going to be a clinical psychologist was uh, appropriately disabused of, of that path given my lack of clinical skills but then remained curious enough um, in the area to continue my studies and then of course once you get a phd you gotta do something with it so professorial track decided for me what i would do um, and my you know my interests were in personality development for the most part why people ended up the way they are and what what would change them anecdotally birth order is always the anecdote you know you're sitting on the plane next to somebody and they go what do you do and you go oh, i'm a professor and they go, what do you what do you profess in psychology and they go ooh and they talk about birth order almost immediately every single time <laughs> and they tell you how they know that because they're the middle born they're not you know giving short shrift and and the like and, and you find yourself trying to be polite and nodding going, okay thanks so i mean it, it is really a widespread ubiquitous phenomena that everybody's familiar with and everybody brings up and for our say it's an interesting idea because we're interested in knowing why we do arrive in adulthood with the personalities that we have and it's a very common explanation for it very very popular one even amongst our colleagues so as Rodika described you know, there are a lot a lot of different findings out there in the field a lot of different opinions people that you respect and like being quite confident that there is an effective birth order and others less so so the study was an opportunity to put that to the test and what's actually that's also super interesting in the history of our field is that first society for personality for individual differences which is kind of the parent of of our society was started by Alfred Adler being 
kicked out by Freud from the psychoanalytic society because they fought over birth order. Because Freud was a firstborn and thought firstborns are the best. And Adler was a middleborn, I think, yeah, and they thought the middleborns were the best. So, and by the best, they mean with the fewest neuroses, fewest issues. <laughs> it's kind of a big uh, thing in our history, field's history, too. I think we're both ladderborn, right? No, we're, I'm a firstborn. You're, no? you're the firstborn. Oh, never mind. It's the younger brother. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the third. I'm born to rebel, and Rodika is there to keep us in line. Right. That was going to be the natural next question: Is what's your birth order? I'm one of three, the last. So I was the mistake that happened late in the game, um, and the neglected one. No, spoiled rotten, according to my siblings, of course, because ah. I was younger. And, yeah. They, they do, that. don't they? I mean, it's really irritating. Well, I'm a firstborn <laughs> too, so I do believe that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about your perception. That's all. Yeah, I mean, when you're a child, you think the ladderborn gets spoiled, but then you see how many things. Once you grow up, you realize how much, how many more advantages you may have had. <laughs> so I don't know. It depends on each family. Yeah, that's why people have such contradictory views of what each birth order leads to, because they each had their own family experience. And once you actually Look, the reason it's important to look at it scientifically it's because all of these contradictory experiences cancel each other out <laughs> the scientific response is no effect <laughs> so you guys weren't the first to study birth order and personality Brent can you tell us about studies done prior to yours as Rodika mentioned this is an idea that goes back to Adler which is in the first part of the 20th century you know the idea held sway for a long time were many studies actually before we even thought about this. And there had even been synthesis of the research by Ernst and, and Angst, is that right? I think it was in the 1980s. Published a whole book on birth order. And really interestingly, at that point, they said, yeah, there's not much there when it comes to birth order and personality. And for the most part, we thought <laughs> at that time the same. But then there were contradictory findings and then contradictory statements. And especially Frank Soloway came along with his book, Born to Rebel, Ladderborns are here to tell you what to do. And he reanalyzed the same data and came to a far different conclusion that birth order was quite strongly related to personality as we we measure it and assess it in our field. And, and his writings are beautiful and compelling and really quite fun. And his book is, is quite a good read, uh, an intellectual tour de force that many of us envy. Um, and so his voice in this started to hold more sway starting in the 1990s. And especially, I think, in the ideas of people not in the academic world. For us in the personality sphere, we kind of you know knew that there were different contradictory statements, knew that there were different contradictory data sets and the like. And so we didn't wet ourselves too strongly to the idea, but at least within our, our culture, it became a really popular idea. And then there were studies afterwards that were really contradictory in, in some ways. There are some colleagues that I trusted intrinsically who published null effects, and we knew about those going into our work. And so we knew that there was some controversy um, in the field and that something like a huge data set with hundreds of thousands of people would be a good place to make a more definitive test of the idea. And I think one thing that's really important to mention about the, the, all of these contradictory findings is that they, the methodological issues. So the, oftentimes there would be really small samples. And sometimes a lot of the most compelling studies with bigger samples would be from historical populations where you just have cultural practices that would lead to birth order having certain effects. So for example, in um, like Victorian England, the, I, they had primogeniture practices. So the firstborn would get 
uh, all the family fortunes. So then they would have the available resources to just sit around and, you know, catch bugs and think of scientific ideas and become a scientist. <laughs> uh, versus I think the second born would always go in the, was it second born in the military, third born in the clergy? This is all for boys, of course. Girls just get married. If those are your cultural practices, then they're going to be reflected in your career and then associated, you know, traits that people, people associate with that career. But yeah, so that's, so that's the issue. It's in some of the most compelling studies having used historical populations of famous people. And then, and Rudika, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also a very particular way of testing the idea that almost always gets the, the desired effects. And that that's when you have siblings rate each other. You look in the, yeah, you look in the data, you look in the history, yes. the studies in which they get the little brother to say, oh, yes. my big brother's like this. You, yes. you get findings that look a lot like what the oh, yeah. order theoreticians say, so this and that's is, got some serious problems. This is the biggest methodological issue. So actually, uh, at the time we published our study, so there's, there's something called between family studies and within family studies. So for between family studies, which was our study, you just compare people of the same age who have different birth orders. So let's say a firstborn at 15 and a later born at 15 from different families. But for within family studies, you have two ways of doing it. You have the way which is the most common. And at the time when we published our paper, there were no studies that did it any other way. And that's the way where you ask the firstborn, they usually ask the firstborn, are you more responsible than your younger sibling? So they invariably say yes. And the effects are huge. And they never ask the second sibling. <laughs> or they ask the parent, which one is the more responsible sibling? And you've got big issues there with an age confound. Parent will always see the older sibling as older and more responsible because as you grow older, you're more responsible. <laughs> um, so it's an issue. And no studies had actually done separate personality surveys for each sibling and especially no, uh, and now there's one study that has done that and found no effects. And to date, no studies have done personality ratings of separate siblings taken at the same age. So that would probably be even close, even closer to zero, probably, given that the other one was already zero. The one, you know, where you actually measured both siblings, even at different ages, there were no reliable um, birth order findings and personality differences. As the youngest who is constantly accused of being spoiled, I want to see that study. I mean, come on, because as a parent, I know, having watched this play out with my, my daughters, that you spoil them the same at the age, yes, same age. Yeah. So, but the oldest sibling doesn't remember being yes. spoiled. <laughs> and, yeah. and, but they do see the contrast and they're treated differently than their younger sibling because, of course, they're a younger it's sibling. It's age appropriate. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So get, and, and from the perspective of the older sibling, it's, ah, oh, they're getting spoiled. It's that study where we get them at the same age, man, I want to see that happen. Yeah. So, I can, yeah. so I can tell my older siblings that, no, I was not spoiled. I can't imagine. I mean, and now I have, I have only one child now, but this child is getting very spoiled because they're like the sole focus of, you know, our attention. I don't see how a second child would ever get this much attention. <laughs> The sibling rivalry stuff is, I think that's way real. And that's the thing. Like, you know, once the second child's introduced, the first child's getting 50% of the goods and they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is wrong. And then the second child never gets any more than that. So it's really, yep. yeah, it's patently unfair to the younger sibling. With these contradictory findings for the general public who, for the most part, aren't academics, how do we know which one to choose and which one to go after or understand? But I guess it seems like a big portion of like why these contradictory studies were happening is because of the methods involved? Or why would you say that so, these studies have vast differences? 
I mean, one thing I would say that just in general for the public to digest scientific findings is one thing they should look at is what sample was this conducted in and is this sample relevant to you? So if you're going to make a conclusion about your own life and the study was conducted on a sample of 18th century noble people from England, then maybe this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> the other thing is, so what's the sample, number one? Is it representative? The, number two is, is it big? Is this Was this, this study conducted on 20 people, uh, which they're literal published studies, you know, with that 20, 30, 50 people even? It, usually we, we have data now to suggest that any correlation with the sample of under 150 people, probably not reliable. So is it the sample big enough? So I think those are the two easiest things for even for somebody with no scientific training to kind of spot. It's a wonderful question uh, from a meta perspective because of what we're going yeah. through as a society at the moment, which you know, normally it would be, you know, look, scientists, our job is to find the truth. We never assume we get it in any given study. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to get closer to it, but we're human. So we're going to yeah. fight amongst ourselves and try to figure things out. And some of these yeah. things are really arcane, like between and within Yes, structures like right. to, so to try to arm the public with that as a piece of yeah. data seems to me to be a dead end on the other hand you know it used to be that you could say well just be patient with us our intentions are good we're going to try to figure things out i'm reticent to go with that anymore i mean because we argue and you know a lot of our friends who are not part of this research paradigm have beliefs about it based on what they prefer to think and what studies they read and you know, that's the way humans work. And I think that's why you see something like a Earth Order play out like it does. It was a really compelling idea to people. They saw it in their family. And then you had these you know, experts say, yes, this is one of those key elements for why you end up with the personality you have. And so it, it confirms a lot of preconceptions that people have. And even scientists think that way at times. And so it's hard when there's a compelling idea to get it unstuck, even with good data. Rodika is correct that big data sets are better, but even then um, you need to be careful because, for example, a huge data set in which they were doing the within structure where being asked whether the older sibling was more responsible, yeah. not a good study. You do have to be careful. I'd like to be able to say, trust us, we'll figure it out, but <laughs> I don't trust us. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that to you, honestly. But it's good that you're being so honest about it because it's all more relevant than it ever has been with the amount of information that is so accessible to people and what's real, what's mm -hmm. not. And we're taught from a young age, like science is the truth. It's interesting to see how different the academic community is too. When you evaluate the whole body of science and you have kind of the consensus at the point you're at, it is still probably, you know, your best shot versus no science. Uh, and you always do the best you can with the knowledge you have. So right now, the way people can think that I, I find fruit birth order, I find pretty compelling that our study has a larger and more representative sample than all the other hundreds of studies literally put together. And then the other thing you have to look at Here's another thing for the public can look at. So I agree with Brent. If it's just one big sample, that's not necessarily good, but it's bigger than a, probably better than a small sample. Uh, if it's a sample that's relevant, representative, that's good. But then you have to know something about the methods. But another thing you can look at is replication. So the fact that right after our study was published, there was another study with the samples of each of over 10,000 people from Germany, the UK, that's also replicated our null findings in different countries. So that's replication is another thing that makes you uh, more confident. Uh, so it's all 
I think science, the way scientific thinking is all about prior knowledge, updated knowledge, and what's your current sum of knowledge is. And you just have to be able to have that sort of flexible updating thinking to have an accurate understanding, our best current understanding of the world. If in a year from now, somebody else comes with a better design, you know, the design we're talking about, or you ask both siblings at the same age, and it's a huge representative sample, and they did it in a way that's much better than everything done before, and it's compelling, then I will change my mind. But right now, this is the most compelling evidence. So I don't know what how the public can reach this sort of knowledge without having the information on all the studies kind of update, maybe having access to reviews or <laughs> podcasts where you discuss and try to understand the sum of all the knowledge that we have and kind of make your decision on what sounds more logical and why. I try to teach my students, for example, that they can ask questions of the science that can give them useful information. So a question that you always want to ask a scientist is, how big is this effect? And if they can't answer the question, then you should not trust their statements. And they should be able to characterize it in relationship yes. to things that we care about. So one of the yes. beautiful things about birth order is it, it's something that we all see within our family. If you read all of the theoretical books, they're all explaining why you can see it in a family. And when it comes to what we did, for example, we found statistically significant relationships between yes. birth order and personality. But the effect was so small that you would need over 1,200 people to be able to see it. And so far, with the exception of maybe Genghis Khan or some other people like that, I don't think anybody has that many kids. You're not going to see it in any given family. And that's a really important piece of data for people to understand. And they can ask that of a scientist when it comes to your findings. How is this relevant to my life? Part of that is how big is this effect and will it affect me? Can I see it? And if you can't see it, then yeah, you want to think differently about it. Right. So scientists, we shouldn't really only, we should probably never present, uh, you know, results in, is it there or is it not there? Is it true or not true? We should present it in how big the effect is. So, for example, because if you have a really, really large sample, you actually do get statistical significance. So you could say, it's there, it's true. And then you, you have to translate it into real-world understandable metrics. So I can tell you the effect of IQ is firstborns have one IQ point more on average, okay? It doesn't matter. The one IQ point does not do anything. If you take the test twice, you're probably going to differ by more than one IQ point. It's just smaller than error in your own test. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. And same with education. We can talk about it later. It's I think it was less than one month of extra education or something like that. But it depends on cultural practices. So if the effect is small, then it likely doesn't impact your life. And this is across a whole large sample. You have even more error at the individual level. When you first decided to study birth order and personality, what did you think going into it? What did you expect to find versus what you actually wound up finding? But we expected to find small effects, maybe not that close to zero. <laughs> I don't know. What did, did you expect the, that close to zero, Brent? <laughs> like, I, I think we expected there wasn't going to be an effect, like not as described. But it is always, I mean, it's funny because there's a stereotype in our field that, you know, we find things just because of the noise in the system. Yeah. So there's a, there's right. a kind of, you think, the, on average, we should find something just because of the randomness. So when you get a field of correlation that's close to zero, it's sobering and impressive because, yes. you know, you expect a point one correlation just cut out of yeah. you know, random fluctuations. No. It's point zero two. <laughs> yeah. So what was the process for your study? 
So we had access to this really great, large, representative data set of Americans that started from the American Institutes for Research that started the data collection in 1960 and did the last wave in 2010. And they had already collected information on the number of siblings, the kinds of parental socioeconomic status, age, just everything of, about the participants' demographics. And then there was also information on uh, personality. And we did some work uh, because these were older personality questionnaires. We did some work validating these against more modern personality measures as well. But it was a pretty straightforward process where we reviewed a lot of the previous studies with all the contradictory evidence, looked at all the methods they were using. One other issue that sometimes happens in science is that you can get different results if you consider different possible confounds. So let's say if you, and that's another thing that has plagued the birth order literature. So if you, for example, don't consider parental socioeconomic status and then just look at birth order effects on personality, you're going to find different effects than if you do consider it. So if you control for it statistically, for example, so if you treat it as the confound that it is. The reason you find these differences is because wealthier families have fewer children, so there's a higher likelihood of firstborns because of that. So there, so we looked through the literature and then identified all the demographic factors that could be confounding factors. So we had all of those available and we just, you know, we were able to assess birth order effects on personality across different walks of life from different family sizes, different types of socioeconomic status and so on and analyze the data. So for you both, the sample size was so solid. You had a large sample, it was diverse, and that's yeah. what really, really helped you in your study. What was the time frame like? So I know the paper was published in 2015. When did mm -hmm. you start having these conversations about, let's do a study? If I recall correctly, the publication process was very lengthy because people, it's actually quite hard in psychology to publish null effects because everybody likes big, significant effects. I suppose our effect was statistically significant, but it was very, in some ways, it was very novel to treat a significant effect as not meaningful because that's not very usual in our field, but we should, part of the kind of methodological advances that a lot of people are trying to push is to be more mindful of what Brent was saying earlier, which is effect sizes. So not just to say, is it there? Is it not there? But to say, does it matter? Because of this way of thinking, I think it took longer to publish, right? Well, Rodrigo is being kind. We were rejected summarily from another journal. So uh, we had submitted to and, and went through a really somewhat torturous review process. Some, sometimes the reviews get Interesting. Let's put it that way. Um, and so we had some we had some reviewers that were uh, not enchanted with what we had found and were right. putting us through the ringer. And we went through several rounds of trying to appease them. And at one point, the editor decided we had failed and they rejected it. So we right. we submitted it to to the Journal of Research and Personality, which not only yeah. gave us well, they reviewed it appropriately, um, then published it, and then gave Rodika an appropriate reward for the best paper published that yes. year. <laughs> Um, what would prompt them to reject the paper and, and not accept the findings that? Scathing review from a, you know author who disagrees with the findings because they conflict their view <laughs> and life's work. <laughs> uh, I think 
people are very so like I said, I just want to go over again to the the fact that over 90% of published effects in psychology are strong, significant, large effects. <laughs> not they're not large. <laughs> people mostly don't talk about effect sizes. Uh they just they're like it's their narrative you have traditionally, and this has started changing now, but at in 2014 when we submitted this, it would have been like, what? No, this goes against previous stuff. And it's why would we talk about null effects? That's weird. But now people are starting to understand more that it's important to be honest. Do you think birth order um, affects personality? Yes, I do. Why do you think that? I think that based on family dynamics and the role each child plays, I think that certain personality traits get developed more so in, say, an older child tends to make more rules. The younger child tends to follow along and try to do what all the other kids do. Um, and I think some of those personality traits get developed more in certain children based on birth order. I do think birth order affects personality, especially since I think parents do treat their kids slightly differently based on order. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I come from a family of six. I come from a family of six. I have um, three that are older. I have two brothers and one sister that's older, and I have two that's younger. So I'm kind of sort of the middle child. So myself and one of my brothers, there's a definite personality difference between us two. We're, we're the black sheep and the three that are older and the one that's younger. Oh, it definitely, definitely play has an effect on um, on the personality. I think so. Yeah. I always did kind of believe that birth order did impact one's personality. My brother and I are twins. He's five minutes older. He is a lot more mature and serious, whereas I tend to be a little bit more shy and guarded. And I've sort of noticed this as well with other friends of mine who are second children. So I'm thinking it's a thing. This idea that birth order influences personality has persisted for a really long time. Why do you think that is? Like, even yeah. with all the studies coming out, why do you think that that's still been a persistent thought? I think it's because people see it in their own family, but they don't necessarily see other families as closely. So you just need something to blame a difference for. So all the siblings are not, don't have the same personality. Okay. Like the, everybody's going to see personality differences between their children and you're going to see personality differences between you and your siblings. Or if you're an only child, you see personality differences between you and other people who have siblings. We're always going to see personality differences because everybody is very unique and you need some sort of reason for it. Or sometimes people like reasons and one, you could say, oh, maybe they're, maybe it's my parenting. Did I do something different? But you could also just say, oh, it's just when they were born. <laughs> it's their birth order. That seems easier, right? And then there, I think also there are, for the specific predictions of the birth order theory, which would be that firstborn would be more responsible and the later born would be more creative and funny. I think those are also age confounds. So those are your older child will be more responsible because your prefrontal cortex develops so you become more responsible as the time time goes on so my now two and a half year old no longer tries to eat pebbles whereas when he was 18 months he was so he never ate one but uh 
Um, but he actually didn't try to eat pebbles, but maybe nuts. But, but when you have two children, you'll think, oh my God, this younger one is so irresponsible, but it's just the age. So, and you cannot unconfound it for your own family. And, and, you know, it is, I think the reality for us in, in the sciences, especially in the social sciences is we are constantly fighting against anecdata. People's personal experience is yes. always going to be primary. And as a species, we're causal junkies. We're not, we're not like looking at, hey, let's find correlations in the environment. They're like, <laughs> we want to know why something is happening. And then we go straight to concluding. If we see an association, it's not just an association, it's the cause. And yeah. one of the easiest associations to see is, is, are the differences between siblings. And it's hard to see the control group, yes. it, which is you know not your family, um, and not enough of us have a, enough control groups to really make a proper inference. So you're left with your family, maybe your friend, best friend's family, and and maybe a few other things, and that's it. So it's not enough data to really actually do any good. And the anecdote takes precedent, and that's always the case. I'm relatively hopeless that even our study or the other studies coming along after us will do away with birth order theory when it comes to personality. I, I think you yeah. you can revisit this in 10 years. I bet 10 to 1, there'll still be books for parents to read about birth order and birth order findings out there that people will be citing. Just even like a quick Google search, you can still find enough articles that mention it. Even there might even be fairly recent. It's really hard for people to let go of the idea that like these things don't necessarily like have to do with each other. Sometimes there are birth order effects on other outcomes because of cultural practices. And then people kind of relate that to personality. So like I said, if in a certain culture, the firstborn gets all the family wealth, then there will be consequences for their career. And then their career might shape them into a kind of person, you know, the, the environment might contribute to how they act, who they are. Um, so then, then you might think, oh, they're like that because they're firstborn, but they kind of, they were just given that path. And you can see this also in the, so for example, the effect of birth order on education in some countries, it may be that the firstborn has more education, like in the US, but it's very minimal, very small effect. And that could be maybe because parents, it costs money and maybe the college fund runs out or who knows. But in other countries like Indonesia, the later born has higher levels of education. And that's uh, possibly because the firstborn has to help with the family farm. And then the later born has more money for school. So cultural practices can lead to actual birth order effects on some outcomes. But it's not because the birth order somehow makes you a different person. It's just if you give them different resources based on that, then, yeah, it's going to matter. <laughs> and then there's also, uh, how to describe it, guild differences in reporting whether an effect is an effect or not. I'm thinking mostly yeah. of the economists here who seem to be the most likely people to publish papers subsequent to our paper. One reason is because they actually don't mind small effect sizes because they live in a world where they're often thinking in terms of policy and macro policy. And so they're thinking if at the population level, the correlation is only 0.03, it still may be important. And so they'll happily report a statistically significant effect for a very small effect size. It's very consistent with what we reported, um, but they have a different standard for whether they want to think of it as something that's important. And so they'll often publish papers that are in huge samples and say, oh, birth order does this. And the effect sizes are typically similar. <laughs> and that's maybe true. Like maybe at the population level, you know, there is something to it, but it's not, the, the thing is that it doesn't impact people's lives 
the way people think it does. So it's not going to be the explanation of why you see a personality difference. That's kind of what we're saying. Because <laughs> to see a personality difference, the effect would have to be something like, what are the 25 times larger or something? Uh, it's much, much larger. So you were talking about the cultural environment too. And what about gender? We definitely controlled for gender as a compound. I mean, there are gender differences in personality, Mm -hmm. not as many as people suppose, but there are some. And if that's the case, then if you are born with a sister who is nicer, maligning men here, um, (laughs) then if you're following the logic of the Bobo doll type of socialization experiments, then living with somebody who's nice should teach you to be nicer. Um, And that should rub off on you, you would hope. So there's no gender effect on personality if you live with a sibling of the opposite sex or the same sex, um, for that matter. People definitely bring that up, too, in conversation. It's like, oh, I was raised with sisters or I was raised with older brothers. And it's like, okay, that may have some effect, but yeah, probably not as much as they actually think it does. Part of the issue here, too, is, is that you find there's definitely going to be differences in experiences, but are they the same thing as your personality? And I, and I think oftentimes they're not because you know, you, you're gonna, you might understand the world differently if you were raised with sisters versus brothers. And that's not insignificant by any means. And I think the meaning to the person's identity should be definitely understood. That's not traditionally what we're thinking of when we think about cognitive ability or our personality. It's your identity and your your kind of um, very concrete experiences and could lead to a lot of good things or bad things, but it's not the same as what we study. Well, then pretty much getting identity and personality kind of confused or they're just kind of lumping them together and not really seeing that there's a difference. Yeah. And I think that's a forgivable offense. I mean, we, you know, I can teach my students as much as I want about all the different categories, whether they remember or not is another question. Um, and we don't necessarily communicate that into the, the uh, world as effectively as you might. It's, under, it's an understandable thing to confuse. You really went against the grain with this study. So can you tell us what the consequences were for you as academics? What did you hear from your peers? What did you hear from the general public? Yeah, I guess every everybody. So, I mean, I think that there were some studies before that had questioned effect size, you know, sorry, the person, as I said, there were, there was conflicting evidence, right? It was just not as, I guess, not as strong or had its own methodological issues. But besides the fact, besides the lengthy review process, so that was, that was tricky, just the lengthy review process, right? So that was maybe a bit frustrating at times. For my, my experience was very positive. Like for my colleagues, like I said, it, the paper got an award. It is very highly cited. I had a lot of media interviews. People in my new job were very impressed, very happy about all that because I just got the paper and then I got the new job. I mean, it was just happened around the same time. And um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, it was a positive experience, I would say. What do you negative for me because I got asked to review a lot of papers on Berkeley. Oh, yeah. Right. That, that right. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is really funny. Okay. There's one annoying thing is when new published papers that claim there are birth order effects using poor methods sometimes cite our paper to claim that we say that there are birth order effects. So having the paper oh, miscited, wow. that's annoying. In terms of like the p- potential reputational cost, I think Rodika's reputation is already hurt as much as it was going to be by associating with me because I already had a <laughs> reputation for, um, for I mean, yeah, I mean, a relatively well-deserved reputation for being, being grumpy in some cases, and <laughs> being grumpy, being willing to say what people uh, thought would be impolite. I mean, it's not, it was not considered polite in our field 
to no. talk about null effects and, and contradictory That's effects. True. And so and so to be willing to say that puts you, as Rodiga has been so kind to say, into the grumpy category. Um, right. And I already had a, a reputation as a, as a grumpy scholar. So this didn't do anything to damage it further. Maybe it just solidified my grumpy reputation, which I, it might affect something, but it hasn't bothered me. Both became famous in a different way. He was already famous before, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, amongst the five people who <laughs> read the Controversy, there's research showing that controversy in science, it still, yeah, it still helps with the uh, citations and everything. So it's uh, it's good to sometimes be grumpy. Any publicity is good publicity. I have to say, I mean, I'm kind of disappointed about the finding because part of the goal is trying to figure out you know, the answer to that question. Where does your personality come from? And it's frustrating to repeatedly find no answer to that question. <laughs> this was another one of those papers where we kind of, let's do the usual suspects, uh, born to rich or poor parents and siblings of different gender and yeah. birth order. And, and the, the answers have been no, 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 no. <laughs> so so have you guys nice like studied in terms of personality and trying to figure out how somebody's personality develops besides birth order? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm interested in uh, life experiences, social context. So for example, I've looked at the effect of natural disasters, so particularly hurricanes. Um, like in Houston, we have some, and I didn't, I didn't find Hurricane Harvey to have changed people's personality in a in a consistent, systematic way. Although there were individual differences in change, so some people's personalities changed in one direction, some in a different direction, but it wasn't necessarily because of the direct damage they suffered. So that's kind of what Brenda's hinting at: is that it's quite hard to pinpoint specific events but that's kind of what what i'm trying to do so i'm trying to see how adversity may impact people's personalities and different types of adversity so like natural disaster or um we did have some findings that for example in among mexican americans there so specifically like a diversity um, in the sense of hispanic discrimination did um have some detrimental effects on the children's development of uh, self-control so it's not it's not good to be discriminated against for your culture, for your culture and ethnicity. So there are some things, you know, that can are associated with personality change, but oftentimes it is hard to find specific events. So like a big question now people are having is, has the pandemic changed our personalities? And uh, there's, you know, some studies find no effects. There's one study that found some effect. I'm working on another one to see what happened. <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> one in the US didn't show an effect. I'm checking out one in Germany. So that's, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm interested in is how different social contexts and life experiences uh, change people's personalities and the consequences that has for their career outcomes and well-being. I like the same stuff, so I can't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, uh, well, yeah, we, we did a, a bunch of studies with adults, which, were most, which is where most of our attention was focused for a long time, largely because, of course, it was assumed that something like personality, once you reached adulthood, would not change. And yeah. so we were yeah, we did a, a bunch of work. Um, Rodi has a brilliant study of the same sample that was followed up 50 years um, after they were assessed and showed the way their personality developed over that time. And, you know, it's it's really quite impressive. You see remarkable changes in things like conscientiousness where people gain you know, quite a lot yeah. of conscientiousness as they age. And that, that begs the question why. And we, and we spent a couple of decades asking that question and found interesting answers. If you stay mm -hmm. married longer to somebody, right. you tend to increase in conscientiousness. If you stay invested in your work, work for longer, you tend to um, increase in conscientiousness. If you don't do drugs, <laughs> especially marijuana, um, you tend to, to increase. There are experiences that are clearly associated with how people develop. 
um, Rodika has, has alluded to this already, that one of the other surprising findings is how unimportant events are. But we had a rel- what I would call a naive environmentalistic perspective on how development would work and that something simple like getting married or getting divorced should be really significant. Um, yeah. And what we find repeatedly is that just the experience doesn't have much of a signal. The characteristic of the experience, if it's a bad divorce versus a good divorce, right? You know, sometimes people escape mm-hmm. a marriage that, and it's good for both of them that that happened. You're going to have completely different effects on somebody's personality yeah. development. If that's the case. You know, something we're learning over and over again is that the event itself, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of like birth order. We, a lot of us exactly. think that an event is going to be the big thing. It's not really the event it's the experience that goes with it and if it's going to have an effect it's going to have more of an effect if that experience is long lived right either literally in the sense that you're you're experiencing problems or good things for a long time or even after the fact so before brent came along he's being very modest but before brent came along people mostly thought that personality didn't change across life after childhood so then he had some really big um impressive studies meta-analysis showing that personality does change and then we did together the big one across 50 years um showing how big the changes are but we're kind of having issues so we're and now we're trying to the hot topics are why and how, why are these huge changes over the lifespan? What triggers them? And yeah, I think that's where we're at right now is that it's not the event itself, but how, what that event meant to you. And that could be very well the case with birth order. Like maybe for some families, their birth order did really impact their life. It's just that because of their experience, maybe in their family, the firstborn got all the attention and all the resources. So then that impacted their life. But in the next family next door, the opposite happens. So then that they were impacted in a different way. So across the whole sample, you don't find the reliable effect because it's not about the birth order. It's about what that meant for you. I want to brag about Radhika because one of her ideas is really cool and it really resonates with, I think, a lot of people's expectations that are like birth order, which is that to be able to grow and to mature, you have to suffer which I'm sure she did when she worked with me. And it, that was on purpose, right? You're supposed to, you know, right. you're yeah. supposed to put your proteges through the ringer um, because that's going to teach them, you know, the hard knocks of life and how, you know, you, you can handle those things. And this is a widespread trope in our society, especially American culture. You know, for the most part, it's not studied. And Rudika does actually study it under the, the guise of what's called diversifying experiences. So like being exposed to things that make you do and think about the world in a different way. It's a really cool idea. And she's studying that and it's not studied by many people people or it hasn't been studied well enough for us to know uh, definitively whether that trope is true. Do we have to really be hard on our protégés and make them suffer while they go through their graduate program or other type of training right. uh, in order to reach the maturity level that's necessary to figure things out? It's a really cool idea and, and, and I'm hoping someday we have an answer to the question. I'm hoping <laughs> you have an answer because um, that's just one of those like things It's like a tradition, like to just be hard on your protege. Mm-hmm. And then, right. Yeah. <laughs> like then you do it yeah. to the next and you do it to the next. I mean, it's just yep. like a right yeah. passage. Yep. Also, he's joking, by the way. I don't no, want people I know, to think. I know, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I wouldn't put out like any abusive supervising. He's joking. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it, it happens. It's a rite of passage, but no, yeah. It's, but it's, it it's happens, right, yeah. It's but so far, the answer, so far, the answer of this idea of post-traumatic growth is that, yeah, I don't want to get into that because it's not today's topic, but uh, post-traumatic growth is a really nice idea, but overall, trauma's bad. <laughs> Very few people, if any, very few people, if any, will grow. So very few, very few people, if any, will actually benefit from trauma in a character developing way. And we don't know yet 
who those few people are and why. So if anybody, you know, the few people who overcome and actually grow from it, it's not as widespread and we don't know why. So that's super interesting to understand. Yeah. Good. At least we know that trauma is bad. And we love those redemption stories though, right? You know, you love the story of somebody overcoming, you know, the challenge yeah. and the difficulty. Yeah. I think I was watching, you know, and then that is really part of our myth-making, especially in our society. Is. That the yeah. people who are most deserved are those who actually went through difficulty to get to where they are. And that it often bypasses the fact that the traumas that are being overcome are just uniformly bad for most people and should be yeah. avoided at all costs. The interesting question is, are they necessary? Yeah. And also like what so, trauma are we qualifying as more traumatic? <laughs> it's a hard question because people are not having systematically tested that. It's interesting because whether it's trauma or whether it's birth order and personality, a lot of this, these conversations and ideas still persist in media and you yes. know, news, television, movies. And um, <laughs> I was talking to Shandi earlier. I was like, you know, the Brady Bunch is like the first one that popped into my head because you have like two families coming together and they both have like equal amount of siblings around the same ages and just that whole like how they function with each other and, and kind of become a family and like their roles like on either side whether they're the oldest or the youngest or middle child and you kind of get to see that play out like on a television screen and, and it's always in movies it's always what people just generally have an idea about it right they have a thought about it because they've heard of it from somewhere and i can't even remember the first time i don't remember like how i even first heard about like the correlation of birth order and personality can't remember that. It's just so ingrained, I think, into our society. It's just become a, a part of what our general ideas are about each other and families and people and our own selves. There's a cycle in your your institutions in the in the in the press and the podcast world. You you will visit it periodically, and about once a year or so, we get queries from somebody writing a story, <laughs> and it gets yeah. So and so it's like you're supposed. I don't know if there's a schedule. Like May is birth order month, and you're going to always run that story in in whatever newspaper, and and so the whoever the cub reporter is gets the job, and then they said they call us up, and you're like, oh, <laughs> we're doing it again. Um, so. I mean, I guess it's been, oh my goodness, it's like, this is all, this is the eighth year that people are still interested. This is, I don't, I don't have any other paper that's had media attention for so long. As early as we can remember, which is quite early, we are kind of, we are influenced by birth order and that comes from parents, teachers too. I vaguely remember teachers talking about it or even mentioning it. So it's like all aspects of society. And I can see why it's persisted for so long. I mean, your study and your findings and getting that out there. I mean, that's going to be a long road too to continue right. getting that out there, getting people to believe that no, it has no difference. It has the difference that you make it have. So I, I did have a research assistant. So there's also a lot of parenting books on this topic. So I had a research assistant. Her mom bought this book about how to treat your firstborn versus your secondborn. So then she started applying what was in the book. So she's like trying to convince her daughter to like change majors or like, so it, it can have an impact. Like if you, you know, just start applying random pop psychology books. <laughs> so I don't know, like, I think, like I said, it's, it's what you make of it. So I think it's an interesting to, if you try it, for me, the most compelling thing is to understand that, yeah, that there is no systematic effect. So you don't have to stress that your parenting has to somehow be different for your different birth order children because it doesn't make any sense. The parent, your parenting is different depending on each child. They trigger different behaviors in you from their own 
temperamental tendencies. So, But that shows that parenting seems to be influenced too by birth order. Yeah, that's what I was saying, that there are books about it. Uh, I constantly, like, ever since I got the child, I get social media. So you get a lot of targeted ads as well, uh, depending on your demographics, as everybody knows. So I get a lot of uh, targeted parenting ads, some of them about birth order. You could ask the cynical question whether it really matters. In the, in the sense that we know birth order doesn't matter for personality. We also know that, per, that parenting doesn't matter for personality. That's true, yes. Um, <laughs> It's all really parlor games, right, in terms of, mm, of what's yes. going on. There, there are a bunch of people who make a living off of it. I would hate to just take that away from them. There are lots of people who care about these things and is knowing it um, really going to damage them? And you know, I, I think there are certain places where knowledge like this can be problematic. But you know, birth order is like, meh. Is it going to hurt people to think that their birth order affects? Probably not, because what they do with Bro, their kids that's... is probably not going to result in anything anyway. As a scientist, it's frustrating because you do want, I mean, I, you have to assume that trust in science is diminished by the, the perpetuation of mythical findings that maybe mm -hmm. aren't true. And that you, know, you can then understand why people would, would question uh, our statements and our validity if it's the case mm -hmm. that these things can fester for decades, um, despite the fact that the data don't, don't support it. Yeah, but about the parenting doesn't matter point, I think it doesn't matter if it's reasonably good. Like, really, really bad parenting does matter. Don't be traumatized. <laughs> right. It's, it's funny because um, somebody that works with us on the podcast, like behind the scenes, I, I mentioned to them, okay, you know, we're, we're going to be talking to, you know, two people about birth order and personality and, and their study and how, you know, and like, I think her first reaction is, well, that's bullshit. Of course it matters. <laughs> You know, birth order influences personality. And I was like, but did you read the study? She's like, no. I was like, well, have you looked it up? Like, how did, like, where did you find, you know, the information? She's like, I don't know. I just, right. It's just something that you've heard and it persists. And like to break that cycle of just believing things without like really looking at the data, which I mean, I understand most people are not gonna, you know, read like a research paper about, you know, like a scientific paper, but like sum up the findings, you know, so people can just understand what the study was about and and what you found think that it would be great for people to do more like research and understanding of the things that they might believe right that that just come come across through media and socially culturally rather you know like to not just believe what is just persisted and kind of find you know your own answers just kind of take a step back and take a look at your own experience and why your personal experience own personal experience and how that might be different from reality, um, which I think people don't do all that much. It's hard to get out of your own skin. Speaking of, if you had to do the study again, what would you do differently? Nobody's ever asked that. I don't think I thought of it. Uh, well, I guess there's some technological advances since with, um, I'm not going to remember the name of this, you know, the one where you try all the different covariate combinations. So we, we did one model of one one type of statistical model that was the kind of the most uh, defensible model based on the prior literature at the time. And since then, people suggested even instead of deciding for theoretical reasons for a statistical model, you could test dozens of statistical models and sort of give people a meta-analytic estimate of the effect. So you test everything you can think of, all the variations, 
And then you tell the results for each of them and then the average of all the results. And one of our colleagues, so Julia Rohrer, who has also done all the, a lot of studies on birth order after a study that showed null effects in different countries and on different outcomes, personality, as well as uh, leadership, risk-taking. Um, so she's done that for some studies and still null effects. But so yeah, so that's kind of a cool methodological advance that could be done. I don't think the results would be different. <laughs> I would do that study that we said we wanted to do. So get siblings. And then I would want to include other um, ways of understanding their personalities. So get their friends to rate them. But she the asked friends. what would you do different about this study? Like if, if the question was oh, oh, well, what, uh, what other cool data you would get, then I would have answered yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> yes, that, that other cool data. That sounds really good. Cool yeah, I mean, there's nice. so many different ways you can go about this, like so many different variables. <laughs> Which is yes. which is interesting, yeah. Getting better, even better data. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to go about it. What is better always, data? Always. That's what Brent can say it again. So that one. Self reports are fine. That what people say about themselves is important, but doesn't agree perfectly with it, what others see in us. So it would be good to get information about somebody's personality from outside of their perspective, because that's a, a good way to test it, right? It might be that we, we don't see it in ourselves, but other people see it, um, and that would yeah. be a fair thing to test. And then there's new, you know fancy ways of assessing personality. We can follow you on your cell phone for six months and uh, use machine learning to derive your personality from that. And it's completely objective, at least according to some. That would be really cool, right? Because that would you know, triangulate things a bit. None of this is going to happen, by the way, because nobody's going to fund <laughs> the study. So I just want to get it out there that unless your, your listeners want to throw us a bunch of money. But yeah, the, the one where you have the siblings of, uh, at the same age evaluated on their personality and then using different personality assessment methods. Yes, that would be the best possible study to test birth order and do it in different cultures too. I mean, I think that the, theor the theoretical standpoint from where we came was that there's this idea of the niche theory, family niche theory, where the reason birth order impacts your personality is because you find different niches in your family to fill. Um, so, for example, the firstborn is expected to be more uh, reliable, less fun, just kind of more parent-pleasing, uh, because that's the niche they're filling because they're there first. Versus the secondborn, in order to get attention and access to resources, they supposedly have to fill an unfilled niche of the more rebellious, fun, creative person. That's the expectation. And we tested the relevant, the personality traits relevant to those hypotheses and more. <laughs> and uh, we did not find, not only was the effect very small, so 0 0.02, so something that would be not possible to observe by any human in terms of observable differences in behavior, uh, but also the effects were not always in the predicted direction. So it really just didn't map onto the theory. And then another theory is um, the idea that the firstborn gets more attention from the parents because there, there's a time in their life when there are more adults per children in the house. <laughs> so that might um, get them a higher level of intelligence because of the extra attention. And um, we also did not find, we found a very, very small effect for verbal intelligence where it was one IQ point. So there could be something to the fact that maybe, you know, there's more adults talking to a child that's alone in the house versus when you have more children, there's this, this idea of diluted knowledge because now the children talk to each other, not directly with the same, just not the same number of adults per child. But again, the effects were so small, very likely not meaningful. So that's kind of the expectation from a theoretical standpoint and the findings. 
It's an entirely unique study in its breadth and scope and size. It represents a, a different value system um, when it comes to doing science that it needs to be done um, at a scale that can answer questions like this yeah. well. And so you know, they sought to assess 5% of the U.S. student high school population. And that's an ambitious thing uh, that requires a lot of resources, a lot of motivation and dedication. And the result is definitive science, and it's it's a really wonderful thing. There there are studies similar to this being funded by the government and the National Institutes of Health and the like. It's good for us to do these things um, because we can then answer questions in ways that that are much more convincing than the typical way we go about doing our research, which is, is very very individualistic and driven by the those resources of of a, a individual researcher, so to speak. And so, getting this type of sample and putting that together took a tremendous amount of work on the part of the people who did it. So much so that they actually didn't publish much, but it's a really good thing. And to the extent that we do this collectively, which is what's required, yes. thinking like an epidemiologist, we'll get better answers to questions that we care about. And so it's really it represents in some respects an ideal form of doing science that is a more collective endeavor in that respect. And yeah, the fact that is, and I'm very grateful about the data sharing because we haven't, we did not contribute to collecting these data. I, my parents were three years old when they started correcting, collecting these data. So I'm very grateful that, you know, not only did they do such an amazing job, the American Institute for Research in collecting the data, but also sharing it with scientists. Thank you both. But yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. We'd like to thank Rodika and Brent for being on the show today and for taking the time to speak about their work and their study on birth order and personality. We want to hear what you think about birth order and personality. Do you think birth order has an effect on personality, even if the study's findings say that they don't? Rodika Damian is an associate professor and associate department chair of social psychology at the University of Houston. Her research interests include which personality and social factors contribute to career success, creativity, and well-being across the lifespan. And Brent Roberts is a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. His research interests include understanding the change in personality traits across adulthood, the life experiences associated with changes in personality traits, over time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Bound by the Cloak. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Be sure to like and subscribe, follow on those platforms as well, and let us know how we're doing. Tell us which episodes you like the most. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.